and in, in, in Colossae, and, and so we're going to start in verse 9 today. We're in chapter 1, verse 9, and uh, this fits with us too. It says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul writing to this city that he's never been to, but he heard there's a church there. From the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Paul is never afraid to create a long sentence. Paul creates some of the longest sentences. And then he'll get in a long sentence and come to the point and then another thought. And he'll put a dash and go off on this tangent of that long sentence that he started. And sometimes never even come back to finishing that sentence. But Paul is talking this out. He's not writing this down. He's talking it out. And somebody else is writing it down, what he says. But I, as I read this, I, this has been, so I've been studying this for two weeks. It's been like, it's, it's been like okay, what is, it just seems so deep. What, how do I grasp the meaning? What are you trying to say, Paul? And then when I got it, it was like, well, that's simple. But it took me a while to get the simplicity of it. So we're going to just talk about the simplicity of it today, and I hope you get it as well. First things first, Paul says, verse 9, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. That convicted me. That convicted me. I mean, this is a church that Paul had never even met, and Paul's pouring out his heart to God for them, praying for them. And, 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 and also convicted me thinking, of how, because these, this is the church, these are Christians that he's praying for. And, and I think of how often I pray for lost people. And I cry out to God on behalf of lost people. And by lost people, that just means people who have not um, received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. People who are living apart from God. You're lost if you're doing that. You may think you know exactly what you're doing and where you're heading. But if you are not living with God and Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're lost. You're wandering and meandering, and you're going nowhere. In fact, you're headed to destruction, and you don't even know it. So that's why we call it lost. And so we pray for people like that. We pray for the lost. I cry out people's names. There are people who are sitting in here today. I've cried out your name because you were lost. But what happens when they get found? What happens when they receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior? You know what? I tend to move on to the next lost person. And cry out for them. And yet, Paul says, here are these Christians and I'm crying out to God on their behalf. I'm praying for these saved people. And I thought about, you know, that makes sense. I mean, how many of you took real good care of yourself? You mothers in here took real good care of your baby as uh, while it was in the womb. Make, make sure you take, take uh, took all your vitamins, went to all the doctor's appointments, did everything, didn't drink caffeine, didn't do all that stuff, and then you give birth to the child, and then you move on to trying to have the next kid and just leave that kid to fend for itself. And that really is what's going on, and that what would happen to that child? It would, it would eventually, it would be so malnourished, it would, it would die. And I just think of how many people have died 
because I've cried out for them until they were born and then forgot about them and moved on to have somebody else be born. So Paul says, I pray for them. I pray for you. And so it convicted me to pray for you, okay? And how about this? You can pray for me too. It's not just a Paul thing or a pastor thing. It's a we can pray for each other and we need it. So Paul says, I, yeah, Paul understood the importance of prayer. Paul's not wasting time praying. All right. But what does he pray? I pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That, to me, was like, what in the world? What, that, that spiritual wisdom and understanding kind of uh, threw me for a loop. What are you talking about? What, how are you filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding? I don't talk like that normally. And so, just to start with, what is the knowledge of his will? What is the will of God? You ever ask that question? I have. I just want to know the will of God. What does God want from me? And that really is the will of God. What does God desire? And so Paul says, I'm praying for you, asking God to fill you. Ask that you be, may be filled with the knowledge of what God wants from you. Knowledge of what God wants or what God desires. And so Paul says, first of all, and I think this is your fill in the blank. First of all, I pray for you that you learn what God desires. Did you see that catch? I'm going to get a drink while you uh, write that down. So after you get saved, after you become born again, you make Jesus Lord of your life, it's not over and done. You can't, you can't move on just to living the rest of your life the way you were living before with a card in your pocket that says, I went to the altar one time and I'm not going to hell. It's not the point. Okay? Not the point. So now that you got that, get out of hell card, which is awesome. It's good to have. Don't leave home without it. If you don't have that card, get one. But getting that card is the first step of the journey. Right after that, you need to learn what the will of God is for you. And that's what Paul says. I want you to learn what God desires for me. Be filled with it. What does he want? When, when, when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, or when Jesus, let's say, was, was in the garden, he was praying, God, I don't want to go to the cross. If there's any other way, then let it be another way. I don't want to do it. But then what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. In other words, Jesus' desire was to not to die on the cross if he didn't have to. If there was any other way, he didn't want, it wasn't Jesus' lifelong goal to be in excruciating pain on a cross and die. It was not his desire. It was not what he wanted to do, but it was the will of God. It was what God wanted. It was what God desired. Why? Because of the effect it was going to have. So Jesus said, God, I desire not to die on the cross. But nevertheless, not what I desire, but you desire. Let's put it like this. God, I would, I would, uh, uh, I would, I would rather not have to go through with this, okay, if I had my choosing. If I was choosing the way things would go, I would choose that this would not have to happen. But I'm not making the calls of my life. You are. And if this is what you say has to happen, I'm all in. Not my desire, but your desire. You see, God is not in heaven on the throne so that you can get have your plan of your life carried out. And yet, that is how we treat God. 
<clears throat> and we get mad at God when he doesn't make things work out like we planned them to work out. What are you doing, God? Did I not ask you to do this for me? And then you didn't. You know I was in love with that girl. And she's dating my best friend. God, what's wrong with you? I asked you. Well, that is, that is thinking God is on the throne to carry out your will. And that's not the will of God. You are on earth to carry out the will of the one on the throne. Does that make sense? Like it does make sense if you'll just think about it, that the one on the throne is the one that gets to call the shots. And the one down here is here to do the will of the one on the throne. And yet we just act like God's there for us and he should do everything we want. Nobody should die when we don't want them to die in a way that we won't, don't want them to die. We should never get sick in a way that we don't want to get sick. Everything should happen the way I want. We've got the wrong perspective, which is why that prayer that Paul's praying is so important. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of what God wants. God wants, what God desires. Verse 9 in, in the Amplified Version, I, I included that in your notes, says it like this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you or it, we have not stopped praying for you, asking specifically that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. And look what it gives. The Amplified Version, I like what it has. It kind of help you understand. It should be on the screen. Is it not in there? <clears throat> Did I not, is it in your bulletin? All right, it's in your bulletin. Um, for this reason, so it says, ask you specifically that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom, and then it gives you insight, with insight into his purposes. Notice spiritual wisdom is, is, is directly connected to the purposes of God. Spiritual wisdom. So when he said spiritual wisdom, this is in your notes too, under, it means to understand God's purposes. Okay. What I'm talking to you about now is how to understand the will of God. You want to know the will of God? If not, you should want to know the will of God. You need to know the will of God. Especially if you're a Christian, you need to know the will of God. Well, how do you know the will of God? Paul says you learn what God desires, and that happens when you understand God's purposes. Okay? What is God's purpose? What is God trying to accomplish with everything? There was a time in my life where I thought the purpose of God was to get as many people saved and not going to hell as possible. That's what I thought the purpose of God was. That's what I thought the purpose of the church was. That's what I thought my life's purpose was, to get as many people not going to hell as I could. And that is included in it, but that's not the purpose of God. The purpose of creation, the purpose of everything, the purpose of Jesus, the purpose of me and you. What is the purpose of God? What is the end game? What is God trying to accomplish with everything that he's done? Anybody know? What God is trying to accomplish is, he's trying to accomplish his glory. Displaying his glory. Making his glory visible and and able to be experienced God's purpose and this is in your notes is God's glory God's glory that means that that sun that is beautiful that's shining through the back door right there 
which I love. You walk in, we got the sanctuary sign over there. If you look at it on the wall over there, you can see sanctuary. Uh, it's, I love the, 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 uh, the way the room looks when the sun's shining, natural light. But the reason that sun's shining is to display how awesome God is. So that when you look at the sun, you go, man, God is awesome. That, that is the purpose. Now, the sun gives us warmth, okay? It gives us warmth. It keeps us from freezing to death, even though this weekend was kind of, you know, in the air a little bit. But if that sun had not been there, we'd have frozen to death. So that's not all the sun accomplishes, but that's why the sun is there. Do you see it? That is the purpose of the sun is to declare the glory of God. To, to look at the sun and go, God's awesome. Look at that sun. The moon is the same thing. So that you can look at the moon, the stars. So that you look up in the sky and go, oh, man, God is awesome. The clouds, the wind, the, the, the thunderstorms, um, um, the trees, the grass, the dirt, the flowers. All these things are there. So you look at them and you go, man, God is awesome. Your body is, it exists so that, so that you could look at it and people could look at it and go, man, God is awesome. That is the reason you were created in the image of God so that people could look at you and go, man, God is awesome. God is awesome. And if you look at how the body works, how the body heals itself, how God designed the body to stay together and, to, and what holds it all together, it glorifies, it glorifies God. And so that's why everything exists. So that's God's end game. Now here's the thing. I want you to get that. This is not just some spiritual sermon, you know, about some doctrinal truth. This is about understanding what God wants from you while you're here. This is about fulfilling your purpose on earth. And if you don't understand that everything exists for the glory of God, you are going to miss the boat. Does it not make sense that you might want to know your destination if you're going to find out how to get there. Does that make, that makes sense. Makes sense. To me, a boy from Hazel Green. Okay? It makes sense that if I want to get somewhere, I probably need to know where I'm trying to get. So he says, I want you to know the will of God, what, what you've been called to do, and where we're headed in this is that God, people would look at everything and go, God's awesome. Okay. <clears throat> Jesus understood this. Jesus said in John 12, 27, But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Look what he says. For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Look at John 17, 4, also in your notes. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What does it mean to glorify? It means I, I did what I did so that people could look at what I did and go, God's awesome. I, by what I did, showed how awesome you were, that you were good, that you were compassionate, that you were loving, that you were true, that you were brilliant. I displayed that by what I did. By doing what you've called me to do, I have glorified your name. That's what it means to glorify God. I don't want you to get overwhelmed by such a huge word that's so way out there that you don't know what to do with it. No, to glorify God just means you're, you're showing how awesome God is. And that happens with 
everything that's created, but it also happens with the way you live. And it says that the problem, the problem, the reason we are in the shape that we're in as, as a culture in the world is that by our, by our sin, this is going back to Romans 1, by our sins, we have made it look like God is terrible. How could God be a loving God and people be so evil? I mean, that's the, that, that is it. Our evil, my sin, has made God look not good. My sin has taken the truth of God's awesomeness and suppressed it. And that's what Romans 1 means when it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's what that means. God's awesome, but my behavior has made him look not awesome. The way I talk to my family has made him look not awesome. The way I treat other people, the way I cheat other people, the way that I hurt other people, the way that I'm selfish, the way I've done something for selfish gain, no matter what effect it's had on other people, makes it look like God's not awesome. That does not glorify God. And yet, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain because God has made it plain. The sun's still out there, still declares how awesome God is. If you'll just look at it and think about it, and think about the pattern it takes every morning to come up and rise on us and give us warmth so we don't freeze to death, you'll say, you know what, there's a pattern out there because somebody made a pattern. God's awesome. That we've been singing, I've lived in the goodness of God. And I was thinking as I was singing that, what, pe- what about people that have been abused? All my life you have been faithful. What about those times when you're like, God, there's no way you could have been there. There or this wouldn't have happened. And then I thought, you know what? Even for them, the sun came up in the east. Even for you. Recognizing the goodness of God is everywhere. Even in the midst of evil. In darkness, God's been faithful. And here you are today, by the way. The glory of God. The glory of God is what it's all about. It's the end game. You need to know it. The end of game. All right? So, secondly, not just spiritual. That's what spiritual wisdom is. What is spiritual understanding? Notice what he says. Um. Going back to verse 9. So that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. What does God want? Learn what God desires, right? In all spiritual wisdom, what is that? Understanding what? God's purpose. And what is the purpose of God? God's glory, okay? So knowing God's glory, knowing where I'm headed. But then he says, and understanding. What is spiritual understanding? Spiritual understanding is understanding God's principles. Understanding God's principles. Y'all don't know how exciting it was when I was studying this and I was stuck. I'm like, what is it, God? And it, it's, it's amazing how a trip to the bathroom fixes a lot of stuff. I walk into that room totally bewildered of what to say. And God not only says this is what it is, but he makes it a P word which fits with purpose. And I come out of that restroom feeling better for more ways than one because God speaks in bathrooms. Not only in the shower, like I'm the only one. Y'all act like he's never said nothing. David Ashby, come on. 
Help me out here. You're the king, huh? That's the Ashby effect. <laughs> Understanding God's principles. Guys, don't let this just be a sermon. I want you to see the reality of this and how this works. God's principles. What is, what is, what is God's principles? It's, it's how God says things work. Okay? It's how God, how God designed things to work. And it would be synonymous with the kingdom of heaven. The principles of the kingdom of heaven or the principles of the kingdom of God. All right? How should things go? <clears throat> Which is different than how the world look, makes it look like things should go. If you want to see the principles, start at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins with the Beatitudes. You know what the word Beatitude means? Me neither. But Jesus starts with the Beatitudes. I've looked it up and forgotten. But look, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. This is uh, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to just think of that. The poor in spirit. Blessed are those who feel like when it comes to God, they just don't have enough of it. They're lacking when it comes to, 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 to God, the, the spirit of God, the presence of God. I don't have enough God in my life. As opposed to the ones who are walking around like, I know God, I have God, I have no need. You want to know anything about God, just come to me. I got it all together. The Pharisees were those people. And Jesus, when he looked at the Pharisee, and he looks at a tax collector who was the worst of the worst, and the tax collector says, God, I don't even deserve to come anywhere near you. And the Pharisee walks with his head up high and says, I, I sure thankful I'm not like that guy. And Jesus looks at the two of them and says, this guy went away righteous before God. And this guy, why? Because blessed are the poor in spirit. Now our eyes look and go, boy, the Pharisee, he's got it all. To, I want to be that guy. And yet that guy is not poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see that, that it's not how we would see things. It's different. That's the, a principle of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted, the next one says. What do you mean blessed? Blessed are the happy. Blessed are the partiers. That's what we see, right? I want to be like them. You said, no, blessed are those who mourn. Why? They're going to be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek. Not the, power, not the ones that make all the decisions of the world, the power brokers of the world. No, 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 no. The ones that are meek, they are going to inherit the earth. And just if you kept reading, blessed are the those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. I'm not going to read all of those. I think I put them in your notes. I definitely put them in the easy worship. But I just wanted you to get those are the principles of the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus says you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. <clears throat> but I tell you, I tell you, no, no, no. That's not the way we're going to live. That's the principle of the kingdom of God. Understanding that you don't overcome evil with what? You don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with that's a, a good, with good. That's a principle of the kingdom of heaven. That's God's principles. That's the way God says. When, when Jesus ends the Beatitudes by saying, you know, somebody's really hateful to you and they use you and they persecute you, what do you do to them? 
love them, pray for them, do good to them. I want you to see, that's a principle of the kingdom of heaven. You need to know that if you're going to get to the end game of glorifying God. You need to know that. Because here's the deal. If you know what the end game is, and you are persecuted, somebody insults you, and you insult them back, you didn't live according to the, God's principles. You didn't live according to spiritual understanding. You did not glorify God, therefore you didn't go towards the purpose of God, therefore you didn't accomplish the will of God. If you're going to do what God wants you to do, you've got to understand He's on the throne. It's all about him and showing how good he is. And here's the way he works. Do likewise. So Jesus said that while I was on the earth, I did things how God designed things to be done. We've done it completely the opposite, and therefore the truth has been suppressed. Paul says, I'm calling you because you've made Jesus your Lord and your Savior. I want you to learn what God desires. I want you to learn what God desires. Paul's prayer. I think I put this in your bulletin. Paul's prayer. I want you to know the purposes of God. Which is what? What's the purposes of God? For his glory, right? Him to be seen. When you think of his glory, I don't want you to think of that word just as a spiritual word. I want you to see it concrete. God being shown, people being able to see or experience that God is amazing because God is amazing. It's not making God look like something he's not. It's actually a reality of showing God the reality of who God is. That's what the glory of God is. And how do we do that? Okay. I want you to know the purposes of God and the principles of God so that you can know the will of God. You can't know the will of God. You will not know the will of God. You won't understand it correctly if you don't first have the foundation that everything exists for the glory of God, even me and my life. And God has set up principles for us to live by, kingdom principles, the way things work, and I'm going to live by them. I'm going to believe them. I'm going to believe that instead of hurting my enemy, which is what I feel like doing, I'm going to do good to my enemy because the principle says to. <clears throat> the principle of God says to. So I want you to know the purposes of God and the principles of God so that you can know the will of God. Does that make sense? That's what Paul says, going back to verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You got that. that. That's what he's saying. I want you to know the purpose of God, the principles of God, so you can do the will of God. But that's not the end game. So that, verse 10, so as to. So you got to know the will of God so that you can do something else. Well, what is it? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Do you think of your life and the way you live it as as, as, as needing to live up to that standard. That is the standard. Are you living a life that is worthy of God? Not the law. Not the Ten Commandments. That's not the standard. Again, I spent a lot of my life 
judging people and telling people to judge themselves on the Ten Commandments. Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you done that? Well, then uh, according to God's standards, you have fallen short. And I'm not saying that adultery is um, uh, a living a life manner worthy of the Lord. It's not. But the standard is not the Ten Commandments. The standard is a life worthy of God. Worthy of God. Do you think that's heavy? That's heavy to think that I need to live my life in a way that's worthy of God. Worthy of the Lord. That's, that's more than I can do. It's more than I can do. It's more than you can do. It's impossible for us to live a life worthy of God. I might can obey some commandments. I can't live a life worthy of God. I fall short. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that is number two. Live like God desires is what Paul is saying there. In other words, I want you to learn what God desires. I said deserves. Live like God deserves. Did I say that wrong that first time? Live like God deserves. So Paul says I want you to learn what God desires so that you will live like God deserves. Therein is what Paul's prayer for them is, that you would Live, uh, learn what God desires, know his will, his purposes, his principles. Because when you know, here's, here's how that's lived out practically. Practically. So let's just say I'm in a situation with uh, a family member who is, um, or let's just say at work. I'm at work, work situation. My boss is being a complete jerk. He's showing favoritism to other people. He is uh, overlooking me for stuff. What am I to do? How am I to handle this situation at work? Okay. So, so at that moment, you don't just go, well, what is in my best interest financially? And that's what I need to do. I'm going to do whatever is best financially for me and my family. Okay. That's, that's a normal thought that people would have. Okay. That's not how we live our lives. Okay? We don't live our lives based on what is best financially for our family. What do we live our life based on? What would glorify God? Okay, you see that? What would glorify God? If I'm living according to the will of God, because that's what everything's about, so my, my work situation is about bringing glory to God and living my life in a way that's glorifying God. So my, my, my question then would be, God, how can I... Handle this situation in a way that brings you glory, that shows that you're awesome and brilliant and good and merciful and kind and loving. How can I do, what can I do in this situation? And then, so you take that, I know I'm here for the glory of God, and then you look at the principles of God revealed through Jesus and the New Testament, and you go, okay, I know, I know that it says when I'm used, even spitefully used, that I'm not supposed to attack that person. I know that. So that's not my goal. I'm not going to do something to attack my coworker because the principle of God says that's not the way good things come about. That's not the way the glory of God happens. And I'm here for the glory of God. So what am I supposed to do? Pray for them. Bless them. Do good to them. 
do you have it in you to do that to the person who is spitefully using you and being rewarded for it? I'm going to say you probably don't, but that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. You can't do this apart from the Holy Spirit. I can't. It's too big. It's too heavy. Too hard. But with the Holy Spirit, I can. Jesus did, and that Spirit of Jesus is within me through the Holy Spirit. So I can do that. I can do that. So this prayer is connected to living by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Good news. When you're baptized, new person, Holy Spirit inside of you. Paul said, what Peter said. So you can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, but you still got to choose to do it. You still got to choose. So you live in that way. You live in that way. All right. So I'm going to close with this. Everybody believe that? Stand on your head. <clears throat> Gosh. What does it mean? What does it look like? To live a life that God deserves. He, he finishes out. And we're going to close with it. The last couple verses here. Again, I want to read verses 10, 11, and 12. If you go back to the top of your bulletin there. So he says, I want you to, again, know the will of God. Know the purposes of God. I want you to know the um, principles of God. All that. So that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to Him. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. That's a lot right there. I'm going to break it down for you hopefully. What does it look like to live a life that God deserves? Okay. First of all, can you say I'm living my life to please God? I'm living my life to please God. That, that's, what, that's what I think. That's what, I, that's what I'm doing. When I, when I make my decisions, I'm making my decisions. Does this please God? When I'm treating somebody a certain way or handling a family or relationship issue, I'm thinking, does this please God? What am I, does what I'm about to do please God? If that's you, you're on the right step to living a, God, a life God deserves. It's worthy of God. Living to please God. It says in verse 10, fully pleasing to Him. Secondly, I am loving other Christians like Christ loved me. I am loving other Christians like Christ loved me. That's what it means to bear fruit in every good work. That goes back to our Jesus is the true vine where we saw where God said, uh, or Jesus said actually, that, that God is glorified when we love each other as Christ loved us. Okay? And that that is the fruit that God is looking for. The father, the vine dresser is looking for the fruit of loving each other as Christ loved us. That proves that we are Jesus' disciples. And when we prove to be Jesus' disciples, we glorify God. And we prove to be Jesus' disciples by John 13, loving one another as Christ has loved us. You can look that up later if you want to. But am I love? So if you can say, I'm living my life to please God. I'm loving other Christians like Christ loved me. Thirdly, I'm learning who God is more and more. Are you growing in your relationship with God? That's what I'm mean, increasing in the knowledge of God. Not some someday back in 19 whatever, I went to the altar and 
from that moment on, I've been saved and not going to hell. No, are you growing in your relationship with God? God is a God of relationship. Are you growing in that relationship? Or is your relationship with God based on what happened to you at the altar when you were in VBS as a kid? That's not a, you're not living a life pleasing to the Lord. And that's the point. Remember, the goal is not, I don't burn. That's a great benefit, by the way. Not burning is a great benefit, but that's not the end game. The end game is that God be glorified. Are you learning who God is more? And are you growing your relationship with God? Number four, I'm leaning on God's strength. This is drawing from the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Not yours. Knowing the will of God does not give you the ability to do the will of God. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to do the will of God. Being strengthened with His power according to His glorious might for all endurance with joy. That's the only way you're going to make it. Not just endurance, but endurance with joy. I don't want to be that guy that served the Lord for 50 years and looks like he's been sucking on a lemon for that long. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be that guy. Oh, endurance with joy. Endurance with joy. Well, you can have that if you're living on the strength that God provides. You see a miracle almost every day if you do that. I'm leaning on God's strength. And number five, lastly, I'm le letting God know how thankful I am. That's what it says, giving thanks to the Father. So that's what Paul says. I'm praying for you that you would do this, that you would live a life deserving of God, worthy of God, that, that when somebody looks at your life, they would go, man, God is awesome. God is awesome. And again, it's this test. Okay, what does that look like? How do I know if I'm living my life worthy of God? Are you living life to please him? That's worthy of him. He deserves it. Remember, he's on the throne. Are you loving other Christians like Christ loved him? That's how God says people will know that you're Jesus' disciples, and by people knowing that you're Jesus' disciples, it glorifies God. Learning who God is more and more, growing in your relationship with God. Is God worth knowing or not? Leaning on God's strength and letting God know how thankful you are rather than complaining to him. Are you living that life? I've already shared with you areas where I've fallen short. I am falling short, and I want to grow in, that, in those areas. I want to do better. I want my life to glorify God. I really do. I want everything I do to glorify Him. I want you to be able to look at anything and everything I do and say, man, that honors God. I'm not there yet, but I want to be. So we're going to close out this morning doing what Paul did. I'm going to pray for you, and I want you to pray for each other and me. So we're going to close out this morning praying for each other. If you would bring verse 9 up, <clears throat> or just bring that whole, you can bring that whole section up. So we're going to pray this together. I don't know how this is going to go, but I want, I want us to, to do this. And I, we're just going to start there at the, the second half where it says asking that you may be filled. We're going to say, I ask. Father, I ask. Okay, yeah. That's what, so when I'm saying this, I'm saying this for y'all and us, and you say it for, for me and us. Okay? Let's do this together and mean it. I want you to, to do this. Let's pray for each other today. Father, I ask 
that we may be filled with all the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we can walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance with patience and joy, giving thanks to you who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let that be in us today. Father, I pray for revelation of your will. I pray for revelation of your purposes. And I pray for revelation of your principles. And I pray as we grow in the knowledge of those things that we would understand what your will says, that we would be able to discern what your will is, as Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says. That we would understand and be able to discern what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is by doing that so that we can live our lives in a manner worthy of you. That, would pe- that, that people would look at our lives and go, God is awesome. I want to know him. Let that be. Let your glory be de- de- declared by our lives. Lord, we can't do that on our own, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let it be. And let it be in me. If that's your desire, just say amen, which means that's me. I agree with that. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Well, God bless you. I love you. That concludes this portion of our service. And uh, it is good to see everybody. Miss Kathy? Okay. Okay. And what's her name? Dawn. Okay, so we're going to pray for Dawn. Her appendix burst. She's been in the hospital. Also, Miss Jennifer, Francisco's wife, is in the hospital too. We'll pray for her too. Father, we love you. And we ask uh, on behalf of these, Miss Dawn and Miss Jennifer, God, that your favor would be with them, that your spirit would be with them, and that you would bring them health. Father, I pray for your mercy and your grace.